Welcome to Industry Nama, a podcast that covers everything A to Z on India's small business growth and job creation. My name is Rick Rosso, and I hold the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies here at CSIS, and I've worked on Indian commercial issues for decades. Join us as we dive into the intersection of Indian government policy and the startup ecosystem, looking at good ideas to accelerate India's economic growth. Welcome to the Industry Nama podcast. I'm the host, Rick Rosso. In this new series, we're going to be discussing issues that lie at the intersection of government policy and the startup and small business ecosystem. Our desire is to bring out good ideas that can help small companies grow and create jobs. Some ideas that we'll cover during the series are tried and true. Some of them we hope will draw out that be relatively novel, ones that maybe have been tried in some markets, but not others. I'm very excited that for our inaugural Industry Nama podcast, that we're joined by Dr. Ajay Kella, who's CEO of the Wadwani Foundation. Ajay has done it all, working with large companies like GE and Autodesk, younger firms like Symphony Services, and of course now using his vast knowledge to help others grow through his work at the Wadwani Foundation. Ajay, welcome to Instri Nama. Thank you, Rick. Good to see you again. Well, we can dig right in. It's really a pleasure and opportunity to get to pick your brain with all the experiences you've had. Let's first start off by talking about small businesses. You know, I think a lot of times real work and success and job creation can come from engagement with small business and startups. Why, according to you, would you say that small businesses are important for the economy? And why does the Wadwani Foundation focus on small business and startups as the main priority for its opportunities and engagements in India and around the world? So if you look globally, year after year, most jobs that are created, in fact, 70% of all new jobs that are created every year, uh, primarily created by startups and small businesses. Large companies will target growing anywhere between, you know, 15 to 25%. But most of that growth they are looking to achieve through productivity increases. It's seldom that they'll grow 20% and add 20% more employees. But startups and small business by their very nature are required and driven by the human talent, human resources. That's the reason why the foundation's primary mission is to accelerate family supporting job growth in all the emerging economies. Mm. A lot of times, the only way for companies to take off and grow is to be done outside of government purview. How do you look at this role of government? Is it crucial and important and supportive? Is it best that they completely get out of the way? Is there a role for government to play in terms of supporting companies to be able to grow? Absolutely. First is from multiple angles, right? A government drives regulations for all companies, including startups and small businesses. So regulations that are supportive of small businesses and startups is only going to help. Secondly, government can be and is the largest consumer and buyer of goods and services. And if they have procurement policies that are biased towards or encourage Startups and small businesses is going to help. And three, government is also the largest bank. Most startup and small business, one of their top requirements is credit. And if government can enable that credit and to these startups and small businesses, government is the backbone for these companies to grow and succeed. Well, you've got experience working in so many markets, but of course, very deeply in India and living in the United States. 
How do you look at the role of the national government versus state governments or local governments? You need both. At the 50,000-foot level where strategy is set, where certain solutions are determined, where national-level policies or national-level credit schemes are rolled out, you need the central government. But at the end of the day, when you go down to the 5-foot or 5,000-feet level and where the rubber meets the road, it's at the state and then further down, you know, at the city and at the, the municipality or the locality you live in. Companies need to customize their solutions for the locality that they are in. So from local to city to state. And of course, these companies will create jobs in where they are. So both are required. At the highest level, you require a center to set up supportive national policies. At the state level, and then even going beyond to local city levels, you need to drive policies fit for the environment so that these companies can survive and thrive. Fit for the environment. I I like that line. We should use that one a lot more often, and maybe you already do. And maybe it's a good transition into the next area, talking about the role of technology. When you think about technology, and the foundation has been such a leader in thinking about ways technology can improve on skilling and such, but how, how do you look at technology and the role that it can play in driving the growth of MSMEs? We live in an era, whether you're selling jute bags or vegetables on the street, you're using drones in a battlefield, technology is coming into play. What COVID has done is accelerated the adoption of technology Technology is the backbone. MSMEs are increasingly adopting it, but there is actually no alternative for them, be it from the supply side to production to connecting on the demand side with the customers. Everybody is leveraging and moving to adopt technology. The good news is also software systems are becoming fairly cloud-based and hence a lot more inexpensive. It's a pay-as-you-go model. So these small businesses are able to afford to get the enterprise class services at a fraction of a cost rather than have to invest in a huge technology infrastructure. All that infrastructure is today in the cloud where they just pay for the services. So bottom line is technology has become the bread and butter of any business. And small businesses, startups are very rapidly adapting and adopting to it. And the suppliers are building solutions for them as well. Well, and the foundation has been such a proselytizer as well in trying to encourage and offer vision in terms of how it can change. Now, when the foundation directly engages small businesses, is there a reluctance? Is there a kind of a a conservative behavior towards this sort of change? They are, in most cases, not caught up, but they are far ahead in their thinking that they need to. And they welcome technology with open arms whether it's with their customers or in their personal interactions, they're setting up WhatsApp groups and so on. They are beginning to see the power of technology. They are very open to the idea of now leveraging technology for their day-to-day businesses, whether they are dealing with their supply chain or they're dealing with the demand side with their customers. You've been in some of the great hotbeds of startups and technology in the world, both in India as well as you know living in Silicon Valley in the United States. So What kind of learnings are there that can be conveyed? Is there really some kind of magic that Silicon Valley has that could never be conveyed? I wonder if you can talk about the importance of ecosystems and how much of it can actually be shared and imparted on other regions and geographies. 
Yeah, I, you know, Silicon Valley was not built in a day. It took decades. There are pockets of startup successes now around the world. Suddenly, Israel has demonstrated that over several years. Small country, but it's producing phenomenal software globally. You are beginning to see that happen in Mexico and Brazil as well. And of course, in India, you're seeing in Bangalore and in Delhi, those systems evolve. So there are a few ingredients. What is required is in every city around the world that wants to create a mini Silicon Valley starts with one or two academic institutes that are leading in entrepreneurship education and encouraging entrepreneurship. As you step out of these colleges, you are surrounded by angel investors, consultants, mentors that work with startups, service providers like accountants, lawyers that are providing, offering support for the startups. You need to create that environment. One of the things that the foundation is doing is picking cities, so especially second tier, third tier cities. We pick institutes and start offering entrepreneurship courses, which we have developed. Then we work with high net worth individuals in the country or in the city, train them, coach them on how to be angel investors, handhold them through one or two deals so that they can become angel investors. A lot of Silicon Valley VCs now going into these cities, be it in Bangalore or Mexico City or Rio and so on. So things are happening. Basically, the world has become fairly global. The science looks like magic until you understand how it works. So the idea that it can never be done again or replicated for groups like the foundation that bothered to understand the plumbing, you can see some of the elements that might be replicated. That's great. I mean, you've had such great, rich experiences in both countries. Now, when a startup in India shows up at your doorstep and is looking for thoughts and advice, I mean, there are a couple of first pieces of advice, one or two pieces of advice that you have when a startup in India comes to you, something they should grab onto, an institution. What's the first things that come out of your mouth when you think for an Indian startup and how do they get moving? A singular focus on the customer because they are the ones that are paying. What desire are you fulfilling and continuously validating your ideas? Start off with an idea and validate the idea. Build a quick prototype, validate that. See what they're willing to pay. See what does it cost you to build. See if there is a profitable business model in there. Understand the market beyond that. So this is the problem. How large is the market? Is the market, you know, the pain point or the desire is restricted only to a single locality or is it statewide, nationwide, horizontal problem, infinitely scalable? And that's where you will succeed. Those two. And certainly the number three is don't build a startup with your friends <laughs> who look and feel and align with your thoughts and ideas. You need three personalities. You need a hacker, someone who is capable of leveraging technology because any startup today can't live without technology. You need a hunter, basically uh, the hunter or a hustler who won't give up, who will constantly pursue the customer, who will understand the customer and bring it. And then, of course, you need a you know, strategist, basically an innovator. And these three personalities are critical and important versus Three friends that think a lot. <laughs> I think your second bullet point in there too, you had all the basics on writing the business plan. So I asked for one or two points, but I think you pretty much gave everybody the business plan. They just need to figure out which product to work through the system that you just gave us there. 
We'll touch on two more things, Ajay, before I let you go. First is on job creation and job growth. Second is on U.S.-India relations. On job creation, a couple elements sort of swirl here. Here, the foundation as an external partner is trying to jumpstart job creation. You know, there's some concerns as well that technology could be a job killer. So the foundation talking about growing jobs, but then talking about technology, which could erode. So how do you balance that as well? How does an external partner stoke jobs? And then is technology going to be a job killer? Typically, a job creation at a national level is the job of the governments. They are there to serve these citizenship. They have the resources, they have the capabilities in terms of policies and all that will drive anything, including job creation. But it's also the very largest company or organization where innovation tends to get lost. So you need players, smaller players like an external player and like a foundation to come in with innovations around that. Small businesses is an example of that, right? Globally, if you look, there are many businesses, say somewhere in the 10 million to $50 million range, where, you know, if your revenue is about 50 million in an emerging economy, you're doing quite well. So you have an established business that has proven itself. Many of these guys have a potential to scale to X10X from where they are. When large companies want to scale, they get the support and help of McKinsey's and Accenture's of the world. They get the strategic help from McKinsey's and BCG. If it comes to execution, there is Accenture, there is ENY and others. Small companies in this 10 to $15 million, despite having potential, don't get that help. A, they can't afford it and B, the big guys are not building solutions for them. But what can be done is to leverage technology to make these small businesses, their mini McKenzie and the mini KPMGs of the world for their own business, not as a business to provide services to others, because these guys know their business inside out. They have built a $10 million or a $50 million business, but they need help in strategy. They understand internal data. They don't understand market data. They don't know how to get real-time market data. They don't know how to assemble internal data, external data, and be able to prioritize areas or initiatives that will be transformational for their growth. And if we can create tools for them where the tools collect internal and market data, massage it to then produce for them, a set of priorities or gaps it can identify how they are doing with respect to the market. It sort of helps them prioritize where to focus on in terms of execution. Now, when it comes to execution itself, how do you manage flawless execution? And there again, there is a bunch of tools that are available to handhold and manage through the systems. So for your individual company, By providing these technology tools, we believe that we can make small businesses their own mini McKenzie's and KPMG's of the world, and they would be able to realize their full potential, which they are not able to realize today. And what about technology is the job killer? I suppose every generation, you know, has got some hints of that over there. Are you concerned about that? Or do you think that's uh, just simply part of evolution that happens uh, time after time? I mean, you you know, we've seen this happen from the horse carriage to the automobile to where we are today. 
Yes, there will be disruption in the short term. There will be jobs that will be taken away, but new jobs, high-paying jobs get created. Just last week, I was reading an article where now most of these fast food joints are hiring robots to create the French fries. And sure enough, the job of making French fries, that job may be going away, but a higher value job in terms of if many of these machines are all over in every fast food chain, they need maintenance, they need upgrades, they need operations and so on. So more high value jobs get created. So there's short term disruption, but from a human capacity or from folks that are looking for jobs, they need to be open to this mindset of upgrading themselves. Probably also need gym trainers and nutritionists too, with all those extra French fries that are going to be flooding the market <laughs> with the robots taking over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think even if you come out of an in-demand field from a college in engineering or data science, the shelf life of anything that you learn is no more than three to five years. Learn to reinvent yourself. And learning to learn is a critical element. Actually, this is one of the things the foundation has rolled out. And today, 100,000 students take our courses on how to learn to learn. So as I said, you know, as automation will take away certain routine jobs, but services will always be there. So customer centricity becomes critical and important. So these kinds of skills need to be imparted, which are typically not imparted in academic institutes. That's good. Well, the last thing I want to tee up, you've lived your life with a foot kind of in both countries, spending time in the United States and India. What does this partnership mean to you for job creation, but writ large for the future about what's going to happen in technology and startups and so many other things? Why is this partnership to you something meaningful and something the foundation has you know, really kind of decided to make sure the two that you're contributing to? You know, India is going to be very soon the number one population country in the world. U.S. is number three. Combined, you know, there is 25% of the world population resides in these two countries. Serving that population, one-fourth of the world's population through these two countries, it's very critical and important to have that relationship. Of course, the U.S. has 350 million people, all at fairly significant high wages. India now is inching towards having affordable middle class around 300, 350 million as well. So there is enough buying capacity in these two countries. U.S. can look at India as a very growing targeted market. So U.S. being a democracy, today it's widely open for U.S. organizations, for U.S. government, having access to a very large market through India is an obvious reason to be a partner. For the Indian organizations, of course, U.S. is not only the third largest, but it's also 10x the economy of India. So the buyers have tremendous buying capacity. So the market is huge. Geopolitically as well, you know, Asia is sort of going to become the dominant region in the coming decade. So both from an economic perspective, business perspective, and geopolitical perspective, these two countries need to be together. I love that answer, Ajay. You started with people, populations and people. A lot of times they start with English and system of governance. But at the end of the day, 
you know, our mission is to provide opportunities and to help people. And that's certainly something the Wadwani Foundation believes in. Uh, Ajay, I can't thank you enough for taking time and really kind of sharing your thoughts and insights in this topic. And I think I'm about to step out and go grab a basket of those French fries you were talking about, (laughs) see if the robots are doing it any better or worse than people were. So thanks again, Ajay. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rick. Let me know if they taste better. (laughs) All right. That's it for today's episode. Subscribe to Industry Nama on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to visit our website at csis.org forward slash India. And thanks for listening.